Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. And I know that we can say Merry Christmas despite what it feels like outside. Because we live by faith and not by the thermometer. So we know, we know it's Christmas. Since we're what we are about to read today about the birth of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, since these words come to us in the very authority of King Jesus, of Emmanuel, of Jesus of Nazareth, our mighty God, let's stand together in the honor and the reading of the word of Christ, beginning in verse 18. And we'll read to 25. And the Spirit says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, now... Would you, by the Holy Spirit, help us to taste and see your word and that from your word that you are good. Help us to learn today and to love afresh today you and you alone. Help us to enjoy and to savor this story, the birth of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that I love and that's so much fun about our church is how many babies there are. There are so many babies at our church. And it seems like in both services, it's 9 o'clock and 11. Baby Central is in the back over there. And sometimes it's over here. But usually the bulk is Baby Central over there. And their parents are there too. And they're all congregated together. And the new families, the new babies. It's just children are a blessing from the Lord. And one of the interesting aspects about having kids is deciding on the name. This is a big deal because you're deciding what this kid's going to be called when they're a kid, how they're going to be made fun of, uh, if they're going to be made fun of because of their name, what kind of a, what they're going to be called as an adult. Like I'm Jeffrey, so it's going to be Jeffrey his whole life. He's going to be Jeff. Um, then. My parents almost named me Jefferson, which I thought would have been way cooler than Jeffrey. Because as a 31-year-old man, Jeffrey just sounds like a little boy. And so I don't go by Jeffrey. So you have all these kind of things that go on with the name. And there's different routes you can take when you name your kid. You can go the family route, 
give a little tip of the hat to a family member, a grandfather, a grandmother, or a figure in history. And then there's always the people who guard the name until the baby's born. Like, you know, the flowers always do that. And I just feel like that's such a gamble, you know? <laughs> because what if someone else snags the name before you reveal it? And, you know, it's just a risk, but they like to live on the edge. And with our kids, we just liked the names. Uh, we weren't sure what we were going to name Ivy. And then Natalie's aunt said, you know, if I ever had any more kids, um, if I had a girl, she's like, I'm done. And she said that. And then a couple years later, she actually had another kid. And it was a boy. So we were like, whew, good. Uh, she said, I would name a girl Ivy. I thought, oh, that's a great name. So, okay, Ivy. And I wanted to name her Grace because of God's grace. Like, I had some meaning there. So I lost. And it's Ivy. But I got the middle name, which I'm cool with. You know, she carries her for eight months, nine months. I, I'll take the middle name. I'm fine with that. Oliver had no meaning, really. We just liked it, right? I think I'm right. We just liked it. And then we found out it was a family member. So we're like, hey, it is a family member. Great. Look at that. Good call. And crazy enough, I read this the other day. Believe it or not, a lot of people are now naming their kids after their favorite Instagram filter. I know. It's crazy. Names like Lux, Ludwig. I hope there's no Ludwig here. Um, Amaro. Reyes, and Kelvin. But surprisingly, X-Pro2 hasn't caught on, that, that filter name. Maybe 2016 is when that one will catch on. Now, we know it's odd, as everyone felt. Oh, that's kind of weird. It's okay to like a name, but to like Instagram so much, a name or kid for that, that's odd. We know it's odd because names are a significant part about us. They mean something. So have you ever thought about why Jesus is named Jesus? Why is, why is he not Bill or Ted or Joe Jr.? I mean, like, so why, why Jesus? He's named Jesus not because it was cute, not because it was inspired by the sheen that a local Hebrew pottery maker put on his, you know, pottery. No, his name shows us two things. It shows us who he is, and his name shows us what he came to do. This is one of the first things that Matthew is showing us about Jesus. And what we got to remember at Christmas about Jesus is who he is and what he came to do. And first off, the fact that he's given a name shows us something significant. It reminds us that Jesus was a real live baby boy. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus. This is not insignificant. This is not something you just read about and you keep moving. No, he was actually born. A lot of Greek mythology and all these other stories, these gods, these deities, they just kind of show up. They just kind of pop up into earth and they kind of mess around and help people and, do, and hurt people to do all kinds of things. But Jesus, the only true God, the second person of the Trinity, he is actually born. Why? He could have just shown up. I mean, angels show up. Why did he go through the birth canal? Why did he condense all that he is, all of his godness, into one little itty-bitty thing smaller than a sesame seed that we couldn't see with our own eyes? Because he's an actual human. He became an actual human, not a kind of human, not a halvesies human. Jesus became a complete human. And even right now, at this very moment, Jesus is a complete human. He went from human birth to human death, just like what we do. We are born, and then we die. Jesus did the same thing so he could be a complete Savior. 
He experienced all that we experienced. He was tempted in every way that we are. So you see, Jesus was born and Jesus died so he could be a complete savior for all of human life. Because those Greek mythology gods, all those folklore tales, Thor and Odin and all those kinds of things, they are not one of us. They do not consider us, they don't consider us to be simpatico. There, there's always still this, eh, we're not, I'm not like you guys. But Jesus became one of us. So he could be our sympathetic high priest. So he could be our faithful mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, look, I'm not a Scrooge. I'm not a guy that ball humbugs Christmas. But there are a few chunks of Christmas songs that we have got to remove. It was not a silent night. Baby Jesus would have cried. And he was not like the divine epidural for Mary. She would have had pain. That he was not like those terrible movies, Baby Geniuses, where they, they talk, they're two years old and they talk like adults. It's creepy. Or the Geico commercial and all that stuff. That was not Jesus. You know, he didn't have a golden halo around his head when he was born. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. But the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Bah humbug that. Of course he would have cried. And parents would be like, man, get that cow out of here. It's waking up Jesus. You know, he, why does this matter? It matters because we lose the power and wonder of Jesus, of God himself becoming and being a real, live human baby. If we turn him into an unbaby-like baby, it loses the wonder. He would have had stinky diapers. He would have learned how to walk. The Gospel of Luke says that he grew in wisdom and knowledge. He learned things as a little boy. And it was an actual birth. What makes it distinct from the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. Now, just think, we got to get out of like Bible school, Bible Sunday school land sometimes. Just think about this scenario. Think about this situation. Joseph can tell Mary's pregnant. He can see it. They're engaged. This is scandalous. This would have spread like wildfire across all of their Bethlehem social media. They're engaged. Mary's pregnant. It's not Joseph's. You, know, like, like you could see all of this. Grocery, Bethlehem Gazette, grocery store magazine, right there. And one thing that gets commonly said about miracles in the Bible, especially around the virgin birth, about why we believe it, why does it matter? Of course we believe it. It's in the Bible. So why does it matter? People say things, and maybe you object to believe in the virgin birth. Something like, well, of course, Joseph and Mary, of course, they believed it and other early church people because they believed in miracles like the virgin of birth because we know more about science than they did. They, they didn't know what we know today. That's garbage about this. Here's why. I think Joseph and Mary understood where babies come from. That's not a 21st century development. So his immediate assumption is, she was unfaithful to me. Something happened. So he knows... <gasps> His instinct was not, this must be a miraculous conception. He knows, scientifically, something's gone wrong here. And the Bible says in verse 20, or verse 19, Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, I mean, this is a good guy. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph's thinking in bed at night, what am I going to do about this? She's been unfaithful to me. I thought we are going to get married. This is all wrong. He's going to end the relationship quietly. But why does he stay? Verse 20. 
But as he considered these things, so I think he's laying in bed thinking about it. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, how? In a dream, invading his subconscious, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Don't fear, Joe. Mary hasn't wronged you. She is still the woman you thought she was going to be. Do not fear. God is at work. You are a part of something amazing. This baby has been supernaturally placed inside Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. And then he gives the divine ultrasound. Look at 21. The divine ultrasound. She will bear a son. It's a boy, Joseph. And you shall call his name Jesus. And in verse 24 says, Joseph did all that the angel commanded. Now notice, who gets to name Jesus? Not Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary didn't get to name him. And to be given a name, here's why they didn't. To be given a name means that someone has authority over you, that they're in charge of you. You remember in Genesis, Adam named the animals. Why? Not because God's creative juices had run out. Like, man, I'm really exhausted from this week of creation. I, I need you to take it. Can you name all these creatures for me? Thanks. I'm out. That's not why. It's to establish that man has authority over animals. When Daniel and his three buddies are taken out of Israel and taken to Babylon, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, what happens? They're given new Babylonian names. Why? To show them we have authority over you. Babylon's over you. You are not you anymore. You are now a part of us. We're in charge. We give you an identity. We tell you who you are. So Mary and Joseph... They're not allowed to name baby Jesus because they are not in control of him. They don't set his identity. They're not setting his course in life. The second Jesus was born, he was still older than Mary and Joseph put together. The first time Mary fed Jesus, she had already depended on him for her breath, for her food, for her salvation. His parents were stewards. But they were not his superiors. They couldn't give him an identity. They couldn't give him a destiny in life. The triune God names Jesus, and his name will be Jesus. Now, why? Why Jesus? The Bible tells us, verse 21. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. This is why he's named Jesus. The name Jesus is the equivalent of the Hebrew name of Joshua, of Yeshua, which, which means God saves. God saves. So Jesus' name means God saves. And look at how the angel says it. You shall name him Jesus, God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Even embedded into the name of Jesus is the fact that he is God. When the angel says, Name him God saves. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Because he is God. And he will save his people from their sins. So in the name of Jesus, we see who he is. He is God. What he does, he saves. Jesus' name is a declaration that God saves sinners. 
It's the greatest news. This is why the angels bring glad tidings of great joy, because Jesus Christ is born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord. God saves. This is the great message of Christianity. This is the great message of the church. And this is the great message over our entire lives that God saves sinners. Jesus is a living declaration. God saves. And his whole life and his cross, his empty tomb, his ascension, his throne, and his impending return is a living demonstration that he saves people from their sins. His name explains who he is. God's salvation and what he does saves sinners like us. Because everyone's looking for salvation in the world somehow, looking for relief, looking for comfort, looking for peace, looking to make things right, either through money, through job, through work, through status, through their own goodness. And Jesus comes down to dethrone all of the man-made remedies of how to find salvation. And it's God saves. And you'll see it right now, especially around Christmas, all kinds of books and TV specials on CNN, History Channel, A&E, all these specials talking about Jesus, the man from Nazareth. And they'll say things like, he sought out to overthrow the religious establishment and to orchestrate a more humble, pious way to faith. Or he wanted to show the hu- human race a better way to find peace within yourself and with others. Or Jesus was really, as a teacher, seeking to reinterpret Judaism through a better context of how to read and understand the Old Testament. That's all garbage. He came to save sinners like Peter, like Paul, like Matthew, like the woman caught in adultery, like the Samaritan woman, like Zacchaeus, like the Roman centurion, and like the thief on the cross, and like you and like me. This is why he came. The of first importance mission of Jesus was to give himself as a ransom for many to die on the cross and to rise again and to save us from our sins. So whenever we hear his name, whenever we hear his name, we should hear the comfort God saves. Whenever we say his name, we are testifying God saves. Whenever we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying and saying God saves. And when we sang this morning, we will praise your name forever. God saves forever. That's what we'll sing. That's what we'll testify. That's what we'll enjoy on the new earth. God saves. And I love when Spurgeon, when he says, the names of Christ, they are all sweet in the believer's ear. Whether he be called the husband of the church, her bridegroom, her friend, whether he be styled the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the king, the prophet, the priest, every title of our master, Shiloh, Emmanuel, wonderful, the mighty counselor, every name is like the honeycomb dropping with honey, and luscious are the drops that distill from it. But if there be one name sweeter than another in the believer's ear, it is the name of Jesus. Jesus is the name which moves the harps of heaven to melody. Jesus is the life of all of our joys. This is why it's all about Jesus. And why I hope on my deathbed the only word that I can get at the end is just Jesus. Jesus, God, saves. Saves me from my sins. Why we want to teach our children about Jesus. Why this church is all about Jesus. This is why we live to make much of Jesus. Because the glorious good news of the gospel is that Jesus saves sinners. Totally, completely, 
fully. And now we are uncondemnable because of Jesus. Now we are completely forgiven because of Jesus. And now we have new life in Jesus. And now we are united together because of Jesus. Outside of Jesus, I don't think we'd all hang out. I definitely wouldn't hang out with some people here. But because of Jesus, he crosses economies, he crosses races, he crosses crosses over opinions and attitudes and preferences, politics, when we come together in Jesus, his saving death in our place, paying for our sins. And do you see the aim of salvation? What Jesus' name, what, what, what his name is dialed into? What's the aim of salvation? We usually talk, how do we usually talk about it? We say all kinds of crazy things. Like the whole Jesus for president, bumper stickers and sayings, and I'm sure we'll hear it all again. I hate that stuff. Because we, that we're saying, Jesus, I want you to save me politically. Jesus is not into saving us politically. That's what they wanted in the first century too. Are you going to overthrow him Rome? No. What did he come to save us? Verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. He's after our sins. Believe in Jesus, he'll save you from hell. We'll say that a lot, and that's true. Believe in Jesus, he'll give you eternal life. He'll save you, give you eternal life. That's true. Believe in Jesus, and he'll save you, and you'll find peace, and that's true. But we cannot forget that into the code, the matrix code of his name, is that he is the Savior, saving us from our sins, our actual crimes against God, our complete inability to meet God's standard, granting us eternal death and hell, our anger, our lust, our lies, our unloving actions and attitudes, our selfishness, our, our micro-racism, our macro-racism, our sins. He saves us from them all. I love when J.C. Ryle says, he says, this is what it looks like to be saved from our sins, to be delivered from our sins. Because it's easy to think about, I'm saved from hell, I'm saved from Satan, I'm saved from death. What does it mean to be saved from my sin? J.C. Ryle says, he saves us from the guilt of sin by washing us in his own atoning blood. He saves us from the dominion of sin by putting in our hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves us from the presence of sin when he takes us out of this world to rest with him forever. And he will save us from all the consequences of sin when he shall give us a glorious new body on the last day. He saves us from sin, which is why Romans 6 says, we now consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why when the Bible says that salvation is the equivalent of Believing in his name. You ever th- I always thought that was kind of odd. I mean, what does it mean to believe in his name? It means to believe God saves. God saves. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God saves sinners like you? Amen. Thank you. Jesus invites you to believe. Not that he just saves in general. That's my greatest fear of doing ministry in the Bible Belt. You can know, yeah, yeah, God saves. But does he save me from my sins? Not this, oh yeah, Jesus, he's a generic salvation, generic savior. No, my savior, my great God and savior. If you want that, he can save you today. 
Do you want to be saved from your sins? That's the key. Do you want to be saved from your sins? Do you want deliverance? Jesus extends his arms to you. Go to him, and he will give you rest. And church, if you do believe that God saves you, the name of Jesus should be a sweet sound into your ear. It doesn't just remind you of, oh, yeah, that was a guy from Galilee, and he's God. No, it reminds me, I'm saved. That the name of Jesus is like this eternal just theology opened up to us, satisfying all the joys in our hearts, satisfying all the insecurities, fixing all of our anxieties, giving great assurance just at the name of Jesus. And that's what brings Merry Christmas. Because you know what his name means for you. It means Psalm 32.1, blessed is the man. How happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man. How happy is the man whose sin is covered and against whom the Lord counts no iniquity because he saves us from our sins. That's Merry Christmas. That's the Super Bowl of Christian joy here. How happy is the one whose sins are forgiven and covered. Does that describe you? Does the name of Jesus bring glad tidings of great joy to you this day? And why not? Could it be that you only know his name, but you don't know him? You know his name as well as you know Frank Sinatra's name. You know his name as well as you know Kanye West's name. You know his name as well as you know Steph Curry or Michael Jordan, but you don't know, but we don't know them. We've got to move beyond just knowing his name to knowing him, to knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Did you see the other name of Jesus in the passage? We've got to know this about him too. Look at verse 22. Maybe this name of Jesus will strike a chord. All this took place, Matthew says, to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love what Matthew's doing here. He's showing us in this phrase to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. That occurs 12 times in the book of Matthew, showing us that the Old Testament is met, realized, and fulfilled in Jesus. And you know the genealogy in Matthew 1? that we all kind of skip and don't pay attention to much as Westerners. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is profitable for us. So it's our duty to say, how is this profitable for me? Look at Matthew 1, verse 1. here's, Here's why the genealogy of Jesus is profitable. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes on. Abraham, the father of Isaac, goes on and on, and then it connects and lands Joseph and Mary, Christ. Why? It's reminding us he really does have a family. He does have a history. He is a real live boy. He didn't just pop out of the sky, but more specifically is that he is the promised Messiah from David and the promised Messiah seed from Abraham. That's verse one. The son of David, the promised king who will reign forever from David's line and the son of Abraham the one from whom all the nations will be blessed. I love in Luke 24, Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves, he says, everything that was written about me in the law, the prophets, and the writings had to be fulfilled. 
That's in Matthew chapter 1. He's the son of Abraham, the law. He's the son of David, the writings. And he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, the prophets. The law, the prophets, and the writings all collide and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Matthew is showing us the Old Testament and New Testament are stitched together in Jesus. While Jesus was knit together in Mary's womb, he is knitting together the Old and New Testaments. Matthew's showing us just in chapter 1 how we should view Jesus as the entire Bible is magnetized to him because he is Emmanuel. Verse 23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus was a real live baby boy, and Jesus is the real live God-man. When Jesus fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah 7.14, when Matthew quotes it, he is showing that Isaiah's words, though they had a real meaning for the people that Isaiah was talking to, that there was a long-range gospel missile under the surface that was undetectable in Isaiah. But now it is detectable by the Spirit of God in Matthew. And Jesus is given another legitimate name, Emmanuel. Now, you should read this and think, look at, look at what verse 23 says. This is just honest Bible reading. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Yes, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But they didn't call him Emmanuel. They called him Jesus. So you should read that and go, well, how does that work? I just read two verses earlier. They called him Jesus. This guy's saying they called him Emmanuel. The, Matthew didn't mess up. He is showing us here. Remember his name, God saves, and he will save. So he, God, will save his people from their sins. He's showing us Emmanuel is here. God is here to save his people from their sins. Just as much Jesus is wonderful counselor, prince of peace, Lord of lords, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's always Emmanuel. He doesn't stop ceasing to be wonderful counselor, almighty God, prince of peace, nor does he cease to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's always with us, not in body, but in our bodies. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Christmas time joy this Emmanuel isn't just for December 25th. It is for the everyday Christian life. Emmanuel, he's with me. And he says in Matthew 28, before he ascends up in, to be with the Father, I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus is God with us. That's why it matters to our lives. Is he God with you? Have you been crucified with Christ? And have you experienced going from death to life, being united to Jesus, so that now he really is Emmanuel, God with you? Matthew shows us why this matters to our lives, to save us from our sins. Do you have sins that you're sick of? I know you do, because I do. We all do. Jesus will save you from them, guaranteed. It doesn't say, name him Jesus, because he's going to try to save his people from their sins. 
name in Jesus because he might be able to pull it off. Know that he will. So he will save us from our sins. And he saved us from the penalty of them, and we're being saved from the power of them. We're being saved from the presence of them. Just keep trusting Emmanuel. That you, the life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in Emmanuel, who loved you and gave himself for you. What, what we need right now, what we need at Christmas and what we need every day, we need Jesus to be Jesus to us. Not Jesus, a spiritual advisor. We try to, the world, and we do this too, we try to give Jesus names, other names than the names that he's actually given. Jesus, life coach. Jesus, life advisor. Jesus, inspiration. We want to name Jesus. We're not allowed to name Jesus because he's been given the name above every name. God saves. And I wonder if, I love this analogy from our friend Ray Orland. He says, we think salvation is like this. It's like our lives are a boardroom. And we have our, a bunch of selves all around this table. We have our financial self, the guy that thinks about making money decisions. We have our uh, emotional self. We have our work self. We have our marriage self. We have our parenting self. And then all around the other table, we have our sexual self. And, and then we have our entertainment self. And, you know, the guy that likes to have a lot of fun. We have all these selves about it. We think salvation is... We invite Jesus in. Yeah, hey, Jesus, we're going to pull out a chair for you. Join the table, buddy. And you can, you can be a part of the board of making decisions in our lives. But you're just the voice. But we have my emotional self, my attitudinal self. We have our sexual self. We're all going to talk about this together. This is a team effort. A lot of us think salvation is like that. But in reality, salvation is, Jesus, fire everyone. Fire them all. You're in charge. And they're going to be banging on the door. They're going to be yelling, but you're in charge now. I don't want to listen to all these other selves, all these other voices, all these other emotions, all these other feelings, all these other voices. You. You are the Lord of all. You save. You lead me. That's salvation. What does Jesus' name mean to you? To know him for real brings Merry Christmas for all of life. That's why I love in C.S. Lewis's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the white witch, the evil white witch, it's always winter but never Christmas when she rules. That's us on our sinful state. It's always like this but never Christmas. But with King Jesus, it's Christmas every day. What does his name mean to you? Don't let it just be another name you say. Don't let it be just another name that just kind of rolls off like all other names. Don't let his name mean about as much to you as an Instagram filter. Let it be a sweet name to you. Stay close to that name. Enjoy that name because there's something about that name. As the Bible says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. God saves, will be saved. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In God saves, and by the Spirit of our God. And whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name God saves.
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fruit of lips that acknowledge God saves. Jesus be praised. Let's pray in his name.